0: Welcome to the Perky Collar Radio Show, where we talk to entrepreneurs from across the globe to learn why they started their company, what mistakes they've made, what they learned from those mistakes, and they all share an incredible success story. Thank you for tuning in. Enjoy the show. back to the Perky Collar Radio Show. I'm your host, David M. Frankel. Today, I'm so excited to bring to you Josh Malone. He's the founder of Tennis Enterprises, and probably better known as the inventor of Bunch of Balloons. And if you have Amazon TV, you've probably even seen him on a show called Invalidated. Please give him a warm welcome, Josh Malone. Good morning, sir.
1: Hey, good morning.
0: How about for that introduction? (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) I'm sure the list gets longer and longer. I'm sorry? I said, I'm sure the list just gets longer and longer of all your accomplishments. Oh, right. Right.
1: Yeah, you can add uh, a volunteer
0: with U.S. Inventor exactly. Volunteer, father of eight, correct? Uh, that's correct. Yeah, so this list gets longer and longer. It's excellent. Not many people have more kids than I do, so it's always an honor to have someone on the show that has more kids than I do that can share the, the challenges of entrepreneurship, family, as well as being a good husband. It's not an easy juggle, but we, we oh managed boy. to do it well. I hope so. <laughs> well, kick us off, Josh, with the why. Why was Tennis Enterprises started and maybe tie into – why did you decide to invent a bunch of balloons?
1: Oh, boy. Well, um, I started, well, I had lots of ideas, I guess, like a lot of inventors. And um, after, <laughs> there came a point where I told my wife, I just, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to quit my job and go pursue this, this dream. And she thought, yeah, that sounds nice. And I don't think, you know, she thought maybe someday I would do that, but then, uh, a couple of days later, I came home and said, "All right, I quit. We're, we're going, going <laughs> for it." And so, um, but it was just, um, yeah, there was just lots of things that I mean, I worked in high tech for a while, and was able to solve certain certain set of problems there, but then I just started seeing uh, everyday opportunities to to make things work better or more efficiently, and I just I had to go out on my own. Uh, the first one of the first the first products I really went after. Uh, wholeheartedly was a digital paper cutter so i looked around and and saw um that there was a big industry in crafting and scrapbooking and they were using um basically industrial tools to cut shapes and letters out of paper and cardstock for for decorative reasons and i looked at i'm like wait a minute you're using a, a an industrial mass production uh methodology so they were using Steel rule dies to punch out these shapes. So if you wanted, um, you know, alphabet, you'd have 26 of these shapes to, for each letter, and then lowercase, it's another 26 plus punctuation, and that's just one font in one size. Next thing you know, they have these uh, rooms full of uh, these industrial shops <laughs> in the in, in their ha- in the house to, to make these crafts. And I thought there's got to be a, a simpler way to do that. <clears throat> we just want to make one at a time usually, so we don't need an industrial process for this so I came up with a gadget to cut letters and shapes out of paper um and that was one that just I, I just had to I had to try it I guess to, to answer your question
0: I'm sure your kids love that you come home with all these letters that like making all kinds of cards and I'm sure they found some useful letters right um
1: yeah actually um my uh my wife and her mom were really into this they were using it to memory books and stuff and
0: um so,
1: so they, yeah, they got a lot of use out. A lot of teachers used it too for classroom stuff.
0: Makes sense. Walk me through when you had that moment of, honey, I quit my job. What was your family scenario at that point? And what was your wife's first uh, first response? Because I think any <laughs> wife of an entrepreneur always sit, has that, oh crap moment. Are, are you serious for doing this? Really? I'm 100% behind you, but oh my gosh, this has suddenly got really real.
1: Um, yeah, it was. It, it was, it was, it was really good. I mean, it's uh, uh, clearly it was, it was, there was a lot of apprehension, and we, but we, we came together and, you know, really counted the cost. We, we realized we really had one shot at this. We would spend a lot of money and seeing if it worked and, and, um, you know, we would have to put a lot of things on hold for a while, um, financially. And, but it was, yeah, we were together on the dream and, um, you know, we had a limit. We said, you know, you know, we'll invest we'll invest down to this level. And then if it doesn't work out, you got to go back and get a paycheck.
0: So. Fair enough. And what was that? Is there a time frame or is
1: this? Um, it was, no, it was really, it was a financial limit, right? So we had a certain amount of savings and we were able to um, leverage that and to do a little bit of uh, capital equity raising from, from friends and family and raise a little bit more money after that from angel investors. Um but then uh it, yeah, so we were just kind of getting by. We got the first product to market and we're able to um generate a little bit of revenue and and plow that back into the next the next project. And so it kind of was able to was able to sustain itself for a while. Um but I'll tell you we weren't getting ahead, I'll tell you that. Um we went we actually went about about seven years that way. So was able to to sell that first product and then had another that that was a total flop and then I did a lot of consulting um, to pay the bills and just did some freelancing in between but it got to the point where this we're not getting ahead you know we weren't weren't uh, weren't prepared to fund the kids college education or even take them to the orthodontist to get their teeth straightened. So we're like, you know, this was this was okay for a while, but we're gonna have to find something different to pay the bills.
0: When you say your first product, you're referring to the digital paper cutter. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so it had some traction, but it wasn't, you know, making an amazing amount of money at that point. Uh, how how many years ago was this, and how many kids did you have at the time?
1: Um, let's see. It was I was 34 years old. I had six kids when I first started, and okay. uh, so seven years later we had grown. We had there were there were eight kids, so ten of us in our family, um, and I don't have a paycheck. <laughs> wow so, yeah
0: you gotta be bold but obviously you know obviously once you had the digital paper cutter it made some progress you learned from it you had a flop which is okay mistakes happen and that's what a lot of my listeners need to understand is that your first one may not be a home run your second one may not be your home run it's just that persistence of keep pushing until you find that home run so when did you find bunch of balloons as that home run potential how many years later
1: uh <clears throat> um like i said it was it was it was seven years and we were really at the end of the end of our rope. So we were financially drained. Um, My wife had been through a serious illness and, you know, we were um, having to, we had some extra bills that came in and uh, I was, I was updating my resume. I was looking for job openings. And it was, it was very depressing because there were no openings for, you know, a free-spirited entrepreneur who wants to define his own projects and set his own budget and timelines. (laughs) It was just, the the jobs I was looking for were like, dude, you're going to go do this CAD design for this component and this machine and do quality control workers. (laughs) Like, I'm just like, oh, this was like, I had been just totally free. And now I was going back to corporate jail. And so um, I had about a month where, you know, very short fuse. And I, I just went back hardcore trying to solve the water balloon problem. So I had a whole list, right? A lot of things in the back burner simmering at different stages. And, but this was one that just had kept coming back and it just, it just grabbed me. I knew there had to be a better way to do water balloons. <laughs> and so, so I had like a few weeks left and I'm like, I'm going to go figure this out. And I just, I just went after, I kept tinkering until I had it had a
0: solution and it's a great message for the listeners because after seven years you're ready to give up your wife's having some medical challenges you now have eight kids i mean all signs say josh just go get a job but the entrepreneur in you the spirit in you said i just can't i'm so close to something big let me keep pushing forward and then bunch of balloons is born
1: yeah i I, and i'm not sure how wise that is (laughs) <laughs> I, couldn't, I couldn't help myself. So. Um, you know it just it did evolve i mean you have to but be responsible you have to be but responsible Th- yeah there was definitely faith involved um but not faith that it would be successful but faith that things would work out like right exactly uh, yeah and, and even if we were broke things would work out and um yeah i mean it was i and 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 i think also you know just Willingness to, I mean, I was willing to go back to <laughs> so, uh, It was motivating to, to try to solve, you know, it was, and it was really just like one more, it was, you know, just one more at bat, you know, the game's, the game may be over after this, but I'm going to take one more swing and, and, and maybe I'll hit it. <laughs> so I did. So.
0: Well, it's good that you had your family behind you, cheering you yawn. That makes a big difference when the stadium's empty. It's a lot more difficult to hit that home run and get that. that, Even it's just a single, you know, just get a get on the on the get on the the bases and get moving on the have a chance to score. You don't have to hit a home run your last at bat, but at least get a single, get on base, and see what else can happen from there.
1: Yeah, Uh, there was definitely
0: a lot of those along the way. So, well, that's excellent. So, walk me through. When did you realize bunch of balloons had real potential? I I know you were tinkering with it. You had some challenges. You're, you're close to mastering what you wanted to be able to do to fill up, is it 25 balloons in less than a minute?
1: That's 100 balloons in a minute. 100 balloons.
0: Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and more impressive. Yeah. So I so, guess you have a lot of fun practicing. Hey, guys, let's help me fill up these balloons. And you end up having to break out into some major uh, water balloon fights at, at home with the kids. Uh,
1: yeah. Most of that happened uh, even before I had conceived a bunch of balloons. So we would, you know, we'd spend hours filling Italian water balloons. and We tried you know, there weren't many, there weren't many technologies. Uh, I, I don't, there was one tool that would, a gadget that would help you tie the knot and we tried it and we quickly threw it away, but we did learn uh, a technique. You know, the tool kind of uses a certain technique to tie the balloon. So we, we got rid of the tool and started using our fingers to tie it this new way. So we got pretty good, um, at just tying water balloons. So eventually, uh, my son actually set the Guinness world record. Um, I had, I had applied for Guinness and they would, they wouldn't accept my technology. They thought it was cheating. So they said, you have to tie the water balloon. So he tied nine water balloons in one minute and set the Guinness world record. Wow. Uh, Yeah. So we, and, and then we had uh, like, you know, filling gadgets where I put, I'd connect uh, T fittings to the PVC uh, pipe, connect that, you know, to like the nozzles. And I even had one where I put the valve, uh, down low and I attached a, a foot pedal to it so you could operate the valve with your feet so you had your hands free for tying. Um, and then lots of other things. I was putting objects in the balloon to try to plug the neck of the balloon to keep, so you didn't have to tie the knot. So I'd put little buoyant uh, uh, plugs or I tried gumballs. I ended up using mini marshmallows at one point to, to uh, plug the neck of the balloon. Um, so you ha- yeah, I had to find something that was uh, soft and biodegradable and, and structurally sound to, uh, plug the plug the hole so a lot of a lot of things like that um, many many hours and experiments and um i go down a path and like yeah i don't think this is the final final solution so i'd go back and try something else um until i landed on a bunch of balloons i think i found it
0: fantastic how'd that feel <clears throat> it was that moment of euphoria, right?
1: Um, it was. Um, it was a moment of uh, kind of uh, b- like a budding hope, like a like kind of this optimism. Because when I got the prototype to work, it just you know I, I didn't. There were lots of problems and challenges, and it probably still was you know, not much better than a 50% chance of success. But I, but I just, I thought this thing has potential and it just kind of gave me this, this hope and this, um, this feeling of just potential. Like this could, this could go somewhere. Let me go try. In fact, let me try a tweak. Let me go take, let me, I'm going to go ahead and sign. (laughs) I'm going to go ahead and sign up. I think the same day I registered for Toy Fair. it. It was two weeks away and they had it they had had a cancellation. So I got a booth. So I'm going to New York city in two weeks <laughs> and I'm going to put together my prototypes and my demo kit. I'm going go. I had to come up with a, I had to come up with a recirculating pump. So I had water, you know, the Javits center. Um, I wasn't going to hook it up to the, I wasn't going to do my uh, demo in the bathroom. So I had to, had to have a device that would, um, provide me a water, a continuous water source. so I could do demos. Um, But yeah, I just thought, hey, this is, um, I think maybe I could turn this into a
0: a commercial product. It's incredible. I almost visualized you saying, honey, come here. I think I got it. Hey, kids, come here. I think I got it. And it's emotional, like this flow of you cry, you hug. And it's like, we've gone through so much over the last seven years (laughs) for this moment right now. And I, I just imagine that being such a very emotional time for you and your family.
1: Yeah. Um, it actually, it, it took time. I, you know, it was, it was over a course of a few months where reality set in. Um, uh, in fact, we will talk in a minute about kind of the the emotion really hit when it went viral. Um, after it worked out at this point, we're like, dad's been tinkering for many years. And, yeah. That's great. Dad. <laughs> I, was kind of like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> I was like the crackpot. Um, you know, but, 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 but everyone, you know, everyone loves a crackpot. Um, And yeah, but it was exciting for me. I don't think I expressed it because I'm very reserved. Like I'm pretty conservative for for a you know for an inventor freewheeler. Um, I'm like yeah, I think think this might work. It was kind of where I was at. Um, But we did make a decision to to keep going. It was going to take a few more months at least. Um, You know, even I mean, the next step was to go make a Kickstarter video. So we're like, where do we get the money for that? We're, we're, we're broke. So we hired uh, some teenage friends of my daughter to come do a, a video so we could put this thing on Kickstarter. Um, and,
0: That's one advantage yeah. having kids. They all have yeah. friends that are te- uh, technologically savage, uh, savvy, I should say. Yeah. They can help you do things that would normally cost other people a lot more money. Yeah, yeah,
1: we've gone back to really bootstrapping, right? I mean, I had gotten pretty sophisticated, built several products, done many, many designs, raised a lot of money, and now we're back to, well, how can we scrape together $1,500 to go shoot a video? Um, So, yeah.
0: yeah. I think it reinforces Damon John. He says the power broke. You think a lot more creatively, a lot more magically, when you don't have the money to sit in a pot waiting to pull from. So that, I mean, it sounds like kind of the moment you're at, like, okay, we have this great idea. Now we need a Kickstarter campaign, but where's the money gonna come from? And that's where your creative juices started flowing. Okay, who do we know? Who, who yep. can we connect with? Who can help us? And I think that's what every listener needs to understand is that you don't have to have a whole pot of money to make a product come to market. You just have to be creative and you have to think like you're broke. And that's where the best ideas come from a lot of times.
1: Yeah, there, there's a certain balance there. I mean, if we're, um, yes, absolutely. That's motivating. Uh, you know, being and and just having having building, I'm mean, building something from scratch for the first time. It's, it's just you don't know all the pitfalls, and it's great. It's empowering because now I'm looking back. I'm like, dang, I would have never done that if I'd have known what, <laughs> all the pitfalls and and problems and obstacles. But yeah, just that that uh, necessity, I guess. Necessity is the mother of invention. So, mm-hmm. um, from a lifestyle standpoint, that's true as well. Um, but it does. I mean, it is a good idea.
0: I uh, mean,
1: I was able to start this whole process, like I said, when I was 34 years old, because we were frugal. You know, I spent 10 years working, socking away paychecks, and so, you know, we had, um, you know, fifty or a hundred thousand dollars saved up, which was a lot of money at the time. <laughs> but you know, that helps to have that flexibility. You can explore some of these things, and and you can, uh, uh, you know, maybe quit your job. Maybe maybe it's just a matter of being able to to buy materials or hire consultants or, uh, you know, rent a booth at a trade show. So having some capital is definitely um, better better than nothing.
0: <laughs> sure, so, makes it a little yeah. less stressful for you. Yeah. Well, you have a great story, Josh. Uh, let's move into the mistakes. We kind of touched on them a little bit uh, things you wouldn't do again. I uh, touched on some of the mistakes you made, but most importantly, uh, what did you learn from those mistakes?
1: Uh, um, I don't know. I that's a hard question. I, I, um, so. They weren't, they weren't maybe the best decisions, but they didn't turn out to be mistakes. <laughs> okay. So, We're looking opportunities. Um, yeah, I, I think, um, you know, looking back, I mean, what I, I mean, the knowledge I've gained, I mean, the, the, bi- the biggest mistake I have today and I, it, it's what I work on every day is I, I believed in the patent system and I, I followed all the the rules, all the best practices heard all the best attorneys and I thought that in America, if you did that 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 the, that, the, that you would be protected, that someone couldn't steal your invention, they wouldn't dare steal your invention. And if they did, there's a there would be a justice system to um, to protect you. And I, through my experience, so I this whole course of events that we've described, um, it transcends the American Invents Act. So halfway through my entrepreneur venture, uh, Congress in 2011 passes the American Invents Act. And that was one, I mean, that was one component, uh, but it was a big one that basically flipped our patent system upside down where before that, you know, anyone from any walk of life, any social status, uh, any financial status could create something new. And get a patent on it, which means you own it, uh, and that that's that doesn't happen anymore. So, of course, I, I don't know if we're going to get into this in this show, but my invention was stolen. I ended up in this this brawl in court. Um, had to raise and fund tens of millions of do- tens of millions of dollars to attorneys and experts, and I had six different law firms and thirty different attorneys, and I was up against this giant corporation. <clears throat> And that's the new thing is like they don't have to do the R&D or have the failures and they just look around and see who succeeds and they go and swoop in and steal it. And they're like, good luck in court. Because um, no one believes in our, these corporations and the politicians and the even the patent office itself doesn't believe in their patents anymore. And so they're now, they now have an invalidation program. So after all this, They took back my patent and, uh, you know, I was, I was crashing. I nearly lost everything. And then I ended up going to Washington, D.C. and fighting for my rights and fighting for other inventors. I joined with U.S. Inventor and we're out, you know, trying to educate and help inventors. Um, But, but at the end of all that, our, our patent system has been stolen and it's 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 really tragic. And so that, that's what I've learned is uh, that that a lot of that dream and a lot of the, these opportunities are built on the idea that um, if you, you know, you're going to fail a lot, but if you succeed, you own the rights to it if you've got a U.S. patent. And unfortunately, that's just not not true anymore. But we're working to change that. So
0: um, ho- hopefully it will be true again soon. Yeah, it's, it's ultimately the, it's the ultimate life of a roller coaster. You have the ups, you have the downs, and you think you have a peak. Sales are going great. Things are going well, and all of a sudden, the patent becomes invalidated, and then you hit an all-time low. I can't even imagine how that felt to you when you when you found out your patent was invalidated because of this America's uh, Invents Act 2011. Yeah. Uh, and just having the strength for you and your family to say, guys, we're not going to stop. We're going to fight this thing. And you did and yeah. it, it, I guess it's a good time to share the success story. What happened after all the fighting was done and it was finally settled in court?
1: Yeah. Well, like you said, it was, it was gut wrenching. First, this telemarketing company who is, you know, notorious and had never, I, I did my research on them. They had never lost in court. They just, they just always outlast the inventor and then we're like, well, we got to fight them anyway. <laughs> and then, a little while later the patent office comes out and takes their side and takes away my patent. It was like brutal. It's like very, des- very desperate, very dark. Like, how are we going to beat? How, how are we going to survive? Um, and um, we just, it's just, it was hard on the family. I was, I was spending all my time uh, in court and re you know, writing briefs and reading briefs. I learned the law because this was, I was, I mean, I had to, like I couldn't just leave this alone. This was, there was never going to be another bunch of balloons. I had to, had to um, fight for it. So spent a lot of time in court and in Washington and lobbying. We ended up getting <laughs> when, we, when uh, the patent office uh, took away my subsequent patents as well. They were, uh, they, they said they were obvious um, in this new, this P tab at the patent office. It's called the patent trial and appeal board. Um, and so we ended up joining with us inventor and really um, they helped shine the light on the abuse uh, by these corporations. And the, you know, the patent office at the time was run by the head of patents for Google. I mean, imagine that this trillion dollar company that uh, man figured out a way to, to block their competitors um, was running the patent office and invalidating all the patents that threatened them. Um, Due to the the media exposure that we were able to generate, this wasn't intentional. This was just desperate. Um, A whole family went to Washington, and uh, we demonstrated at the at the patent office with some other inventors. Um, But there was a change in management at the patent office after that, and I started getting different outcomes in the courts and in the patent office because people started being aware of of how the system was being abused, and so so we, we turned the corner on, you know, politically, uh, which is, it's sad and, and it's, it's, um, it's embarrassing, but patents are political and I serendipitously (laughs) discovered that. And we kept paying the, paying the bills. It was $75,000 every week in order to, to fight these guys. Um, but after, after the publicity, and, you know, being able to raise and spend the money to fight these guys after four and a half years, um, they owed us a lot of money. Um, they were starting to lose in court. They didn't actually lose, but we were starting to get an edge because I was getting my patents back and it was costing them a lot of money. That was probably the biggest kicker is they were having to spend tens of millions of dollars to try to steal my invention. And it wasn't working. And so... At that point, they looked at the numbers, and economically, they were defeated. They surrendered, <laughs> and the Wall Street Journal reported that um, the the biggest water balloon fight in history <laughs> um, settles for thirty one million dollars. And so, they uh, they had to they had to come for the money, and mostly mostly make it right, and then pull the knockoffs off the market. And we ended up getting through it. Um, but it was like just a string of miracles. Like this never happens. The little guy never wins in in the patent system in the United States. Um, but we did. Well, Had
0: <laughs> met the Josh Malone before.
1: <laughs> oh boy!
0: <laughs> and his family of uh, eight children and a wife. That's a that's a big team to fight.
1: Yeah, yeah. They they deserve it.
0: <laughs> Good for you. That's an incredible success story.
1: Yeah, and, uh, but it's not I right. Think you- we- we can't you know this is i'm yet. happy to do it and i'm very thankful that i was able to get through it and now i'm able to give other inventors a voice but this isn't right this you know if you if you do your part and you succeed and you know people shouldn't be able to to, to steal your inventions because they have deeper pockets and more influence than you and so this this is not it's not good it's not healthy for society un American it's 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 a huge part of the, the American dream is to be an inventor um and, and and compete. So we're we're working on making it better but hopefully uh and you've joined as well. So um you know meeting with your congressman and explaining what you do and how important this is
0: it's making a difference. So exactly right. there's a message people can have listening to this is get become active with US inventor and Understand what rights are being taken away, what this invalidated process is happening. Learn more about the PTAB, the Patent Trial and Appeal Board, and understand what you can do to help fight for inventors' rights. Keep the American dream alive of inventing. And I'm so grateful you're on the show to share your story. Uh, I can only imagine you know, the strength you have with you and your wife and your family now after being through this journey together, it's only made you stronger. Uh, almost superhero like, like you're another, you're an Avenger now, but you're a patent Avenger, uh, and <laughs> it's just an incredible story.
1: Yeah, it is. It's it's still I'm still a little bit of shock, I think, but glad to be here.
0: Yeah, I mean it's not over. The fight's definitely not over, but at least you got your, our first big win as a U.S. inventor, and hopefully many more to come. And hopefully something happens the PTAB as a result of this court case, and uh, hopefully change who's on the PTAB or just eliminate the PTAB altogether or uh, eliminate the America's Invents Act 2011 because they realize it's such a terrible act that was passed, and maybe there is obviously, as you mentioned, political reasons for being the past, for getting the past back then, and they realize it really has no uh, value in the United States, and it only hurts people, not helps people. Anything I didn't cover that you want to share with the audience before we wrap up? Social media, your website, uh, any? Links or websites they can go to to learn more. Anything you can share with us?
1: Yeah, like like you said, uh, usinventor.org. We we need any inventors, supporters. If you like inventions, I think we all do. Um, uh, sign up at usinventor.org, and um, it really is a grassroots movement. So um, we we make it easy. It's real simple, and and uh, you know we just need a few more voices to to join the
0: cause. Excellent. And to wrap up, uh, Josh Malone was our guest today. He's the founder of Tennis Enterprises. He's the inventor of Bunch of Balloons, as well as several other things. That's the one that's got the most uh, world-renowned and most uh, viral fame. Uh, If you have MP, check out his movie, about 50 minutes long, 52 minutes, something like that. It's called Invalidated. You'll learn a lot about the invalidation system, things we talked about in today's interview. And Josh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for being on the show. You're an inspiration. I love your intestinal fortitude, your persistence, your fight. Uh, Not only for yourself, but for your family and for all big families out there.
1: Well thank you. I I really
0: enjoyed uh, talking to you today. Thank you, Josh. You have a great day, sir. All right. You too. Take care. What is the Perky Collar? It is a collar support system for dress shirts. That's right. Over 18,000 of these amazing devices have been sold globally. How does it work? lift the collar, add the perky collar with the long tapered ends on top, lower your collar on top, adjust to make sure it's even around the collar, and that's it. You've now transformed your droopy, saggy dress shirt collar to a brand new looking dress shirt, ready to tackle sweaters, jackets, blazers, and the collar still stays nice and tall. How do you find it? The website's perkyllc.com. That's spelled P is in Paul, E is an elephant, R is in Robert, K is in kangaroo, Y is in yo-yo, L-L-C, LarryLarryCharlie.com. That's PerkyLLC.com. Get yours today, or if you're in Charlotte, North Carolina, visiting or live here, feel free to come by South Park Mall's kiosk located between Francesca's and Toomey. Best entrance is Maggiano's and Cheesecake Factory. See you soon. Look your best. Have a great day. You're listening to the Perky Collar Radio Show. I'm your host, David Frankel. Last episode, we discussed my invention called the Perky Collar. Now we'll go over some other inventions that we represent on our website, perkyllc.com. Our second most popular item we have, we've sold for several years now, it's called the Pocket Square Holder. And what it basically does is a problem it solves, it prevents pocket squares from unfolding and falling down in your jacket pocket. Great tool. It has a locking mechanism at the very top, very thin, so it's not bulky. Uh, You simply fold the pocket square however you like open up the locking mechanism of the holder, drop it in, it locks in place. Now, how do you handle uh, pocket squares where the the pocket depth is very deep? Well, if the pocket square is, uh, the holder, the pocket itself is very deep, all you simply do is pull some of the fabric out uh, to make up some of that depth in the pocket. And you take the entire pocket square holder, put it in your jacket pocket, and you're ready to roll. Uh, It makes a big difference, gives you a lot of flexibility in your folding, as well as gives you a great, conversation piece, especially if you're not wearing ties anymore, uh, to give you a little pop of color. If you are wearing ties, it also gives you an opportunity to bring out a color that's kind of subdued in the tie, such as if there's a real subtle light blue in the tie, you can then use that pocket square to give you a little pop and help that light blue stand out. Very classy, very elegant. Most days I wear open collar dress shirt, obviously with the perky collar. Uh, I wear a blazer. I have probably 25 Blazers in my closet. You can get them from places similar to Goodwill or Salvation Army if you want to stay on a low budget. Most of those Blazers are 5 or $10 at most. Uh, and a lot of your men's warehouse and uh, other Macy's, Belk, uh, Dillard's, places like that will also have Blazers on discount. Another great place to find great pricing on Blazers is Burlington Co. Factory. So if you're in that budget of, hey, I just got a job and I need to keep my budget low, I'd start with Goodwill. And then if you, uh, as you're making more money and want to find some more unique colors and styles, then I would reach out to Burlington Co-Factory and then some of the big box stores. So that's invention number two. It's called the Best Pocket Square Holder, available on the Perky LLC website. Again, the problem it solves is pocket squares unfolding and falling down. Uh, item number three that's really popular is our product called MagniTuck. And what this does, especially those with a, a military background, it keeps your shirt from coming untucked. So... There's been a product around for many, many years, probably close to 300, which are called shirt stays. It's basically, for those of you not familiar, it's a uh, suspender-type contraption that goes from your shirt tail to your socks. So you clip it on your socks, keeps your socks up, and you clip the other end on your shirt tail. And the idea is that it prevents your shirt from coming untucked even as you stretch and bend over and reach up and things like that. The problem you'll, you'll hear from a lot of military people that are required to wear it is that sometimes that clip snaps. and Hitching the leg or in your butt or your thigh and it causes you to bleed. So it's not a comfortable way to keep your shirt tucked in, but it does work very well. Introducing magnet tuck. This is using earth magnets. It comes in two halves, a smooth side and a dome side. And you basically sandwich the shirt tail uh, of your left and right shirt tail with these magnets. So the smooth magnet go, goes on the back side of your shirt because that's against your skin. It is rubber coated, so it's comfortable. And the dome side just goes right on top. And it's a strong earth magnet. So it's gonna really, even as you get close to the back side of the magnet on your shirt tail, you'll see it just jump out of your hand and go onto your shirt. So you attach a set of magnets both to the left and right shirt tail. You then pull your pants up. Again, these magnets need to be below your waist because the belt is gonna act as a barrier. So once you pull your pants up, fashion your pants, fashion your belt. Again, a belt is required because what's gonna happen is that magnet is gonna be stopped by the belt line. And assuming your belt is tight enough, it'll hit that belt and it won't allow the shirt to come any, any more untucked than the belt line itself. Very effective. Again, it's called MagnaTuck. It's available on our website, perkeyllc.com. Another amazing invention we have uh, is for belts. Belts are synonymous for never fitting right, always cracking, always having the whole stretch. So what other solutions are there? Well, we have holeless belts. And holeless belts are great because they run on a track instead of being dependent on that one-inch hole. I haven't met a person yet that gains weight or loses weight in those one-inch increments. So it's really a broken system. So let's say you go have a nice meal with your spouse or a girlfriend or whoever it may be, uh, and you go to Maggiano's, you go to Cheesecake Factory or any place you tend to eat a, a pretty good portion of food. Well, as the meal progresses, your belt starts getting squeezing against your belly and you become uncomfortable. Well, normally you're just uncomfortable or you unbuckle it a whole entire inch. Well, with the holdless belt, what you can do is you can click the button or you can undo the lever and now you can release it one eighth of an inch or a sixteenth of an inch or a half an inch or a quarter of an inch, much, much smaller increments. They come in a variety of colors, black, brown, white, uh, royal blue, navy blue, light gray, dark gray, a whole variety. Uh, and it's just a great way to adjust your belt in a much smaller increment. Uh, and it just looks so much better. The buckles are all very sleek, very simple. You can wear them with jeans, you can wear khakis, you can wear suits. Uh, but most importantly is that it adjusts to your ups and downs of your weight throughout the year, and you're a lot more comfortable. We also have what's called, and that's available on the website, perkyllc.com. We also have what's called button-up collar stays. So those of you that uh, wear dress shirts that have collar stays built in, uh, these collar stays in most cases, unless you're buying a Charles Thruitt or some higher-end dress shirts, the, the collar stays that come with the shirts are very flimsy. If you took them out right now and looked at them, you could probably flick it with your finger and it would probably look uh, very flimsy. So we carry only stainless steel collar stays. And what's important though is that these collar stays come in three different sizes. Uh, And having three different sizes is important because collar lengths do vary from your Joseph Banks to your Men's Warehouse to your uh, Calvin Klein. All those dress shirts brands tend to use different collar lengths. So our button-up collar stays come in three different lengths to make sure it fits all of your dress shirt collars. Now, what is the purpose of a collar stay? Well, it was invented back in the 1950s, and the point of it is to prevent a collar from curling. So you still need to wear collar stays even when you wear the perky collar because a perky collar, as I mentioned in episode one, lifts the collar up so it doesn't droop and sag, but you also don't want the collar to curl. So this is a great tool to keep your collar from curling. And the big important thing to remember is at the end of the day, take your collar stays out, put it back in the collar stay container and you're good to go until the next day. So no more worrying about your dry clean or losing your collar stays or ironing the collar stays into the shirt and things like that, or the collar stays breaking. You simply take these stainless steel out each day, put it back in the container, and then the next morning you put it back in the, in the shirt collar. So we've covered four things already. In the first episode, we covered the perky collar. We covered the pocket square holder. We covered the magnet tuck, which keeps your shirt tucked in. The pocket square holder keeps your pocket square from unfolding and falling down. And now we've covered button-up collar stays and we cover the belts. That's our top sellers month after month after month. One of our new products that's not even on our website yet, but it's available only in our kiosk at South Park Mall, is called the Lapel Project. And this is great if you don't go to a a lot of uh, black tie events, but you want to take your existing wardrobe and make a, a blazer look like a tuxedo. It's a way for you to attach either a satin or a velvet uh, lapel to your existing blazer. And these are great tools, uh, again, for that one-off event you go to where you wanna have a tuxedo on, but you don't wanna rent a tuxedo or have, go out and buy a tuxedo jacket. So these are called a Lapel Project. Great tool. Again, not yet on perkyllc.com, uh, but will be soon. Uh, fashion-wise, we also have some really cool tools. Uh, one is out of, uh, made out of Utah which is called W.K. Wilson. And these are wooden bow ties that have moving gears. These are really cool, great conversation piece. If you go to the website, perkyllc.com, you can see the variety of different wooden bow ties we have. Uh, W.K. Wilson's the first to come out with these moving gears and uh, they're awesome and they're a great conversation piece. Uh, We also have butterfly bow ties, which are very cool. Comes in a variety of colors, as you'll see on the website. We have red, we have black, we have yellow, we have green, we have orange, uh, we have purple. And it uh, literally just sits right on the uh, portion where the collar comes together and is a great little butterfly, great little bow tie, great conversation piece, and all handmade here in Charlotte. And uh, definitely a great uh, color accent to your wardrobe. And uh, you'll definitely get a lot, of, uh, a lot of feedback from people when you wear that to an event. And then the last thing we have are bracelets. These are Soul Rocks SolRox bracelets. And these bracelets are just a nice little color accent. If I'm wearing jeans and, a, say, a white shirt, I'll wear uh, a bracelet that has white, which is how light, and I'll wear blue, uh, either a blue tiger eye or there's a blue sodalite, just to be a little color pop. If I'm wearing a gray jacket, I'll wear hermatite, which is a silver. So, so rocks are on the website perkyllc.com. They're nice and heavy. Uh, they're made of elastics, so they stretch over your hand, and they're just a great color accent. So, again, all these things I've talked about today are all great inventions, plus a couple fashion items that can be found on perkyllc.com. Thanks for tuning in. And next time, we'll have uh, some additional guests and we'll talk about more adventures of inventing and how we brought each of these products to market.